everyone. Welcome to another episode of For Light and Life. I'm your host, Lucy, and today, after nine episodes following the story, and one year, one month, and 13 days after Addie and I first came together to write it, we are releasing the finale of The Things We Find, book one of A New Way to Mandalore. I, for one, am very excited to share this partly because I really like the chapter, and partly because it's so awesome to have this finished project. Before we hear the finale, I did make a Spotify Q&A last week and forgot to tell you about it in the episode, but regardless, we did get one response from Marcus, who has been very consistently sending in voicemails. He says, favorite episodes? Hmm, that's a tough question. If I had to pick three, I'd say number 32, number 34, and number 24. In terms of thoughts for the final chapter, I'm very excited. Thank you very much, Marcus. And for everyone who somehow doesn't have a full list of numbered episodes, the three he mentioned are The Jedi and Why I Wouldn't Want to Be One, The Reality of Being Introverted, and Top 5 Clone Wars Episode Arcs. And I'm glad the anticipation is high for this episode. We have another Q&A this week, so go let me know what some of the highlights from the book were for you. You know her, you love her, she's 50% of this book, so go support Addie by checking out her podcast, Jedi Archives, which is linked in the description. Also, little note for Addie, can you believe we're here? I mean, this is so cool that we put so much of ourselves into this project and have gotten so much in return. I am really proud of us, and please accept my gazillion thank yous for everything. At this point, I sincerely hope you don't need this reminder, but you absolutely should listen to chapters 1 through 9 before continuing with this episode, and you should really check out the VCU fan film on Empire Radio's YouTube channel. Seriously, it's fantastic, and there's a really big joke in this chapter from it. Now, I did say at the beginning of the book that there were no spoilers for any Star Wars media in this. However, I realize this chapter actually does have some spoilers for season three of The Mandalorian, so proceed at your own risk. Well, after nine chapters of this book, the story is bound to get a little muddled in your head, so let's revisit the events of chapter nine. The crew stays on Tatooine for a while, trying to lie low. Nora wants to go help the medical station on Utapau again, so after a big debate, she and Dakai head out. Meanwhile, Lucy and Henry leave the palace to set up some security cameras, but are ambushed by a group of civilians. They discover they're being held hostage to get to Nora, who is the daimyo's heir, and therefore is not liked by everyone who suffered since Boba Fett disappeared. Lucy and Henry make a great escape attempt, including a showdown with a guard named Macy and a major communication error, until they ultimately fail at escaping. Because someone new has arrived and is about to contact Nora. Content warning time. This chapter has a somewhat heavy theme of death and also hopelessness, but I would say still within our heavy PG rating. Lastly, Addie and I do not own Star Wars or any of its existing characters, places, plot, etc. But the original characters here are the intellectual property of me and Addie. For the final time, let's transition into the things we find. Chapter 10, Prevail. 
Dakai sat lost in thought in the pilot's chair, gazing at the drowsy navy sky. After haunting memories invaded the sleep cycle, he had retreated to the Batir's cabin, where he could at least walk around without waking Nora. He didn't feel like getting up, though. He felt like confining himself to his seat for an eternity, harmless to the ship's controls, incapable of causing more pain. Because he had almost killed his sister. His head a mess of dirt and thorns, Dakai swallowed hard and tried to concentrate on the few dim stars visible from Utapau's surface. Usually, he could remind himself that Lucy kept insisting he didn't need to apologize. But if not apologize, what could he do to fill the chasm in his soul? There was no remedy for the kinds of things he'd done. No Jedi trick to heal his brokenness. Before he could stop it, another image burrowed into his thoughts. Lucy, shivering against the wall of her quarters, begging him for answers he couldn't give, fully believing she was in that moment. That was all the proof he needed that she was still so burdened by that day. By him. Worst of all, he could vividly picture her smirk, her eyes sparkling as she maneuvered the Kurah, her sarcastic retorts, and he tried to imagine a world without those beautiful moments. A world he had taken that joy from. Takai? For one wonderful, terrifying, torn moment, he thought it was his sister's voice. Takai swiped the tears away as he turned his chair around to face his cousin. Tilting her head to study his face, Nora seemed to read his mind like an open book. I understand. I have a lot of nightmares, too. About the First Order, faceless enemies, my parents. The memories, they haunt me. Dakai frowned. Why haven't you said anything? I didn't want to seem like a burden. Nora turned away then, looking out the viewport at the brightening horizon. I wanted to be useful. I thought that telling someone would make me look weak. Make me a liability. Heart aching, Dakai cursed that cruel universe where kids had to grow up so fast and bear the weight of everyone around them. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Norlin Faithfet. You are never going to be a burden, no matter what you do or how many stormtroopers are after you. You're my brave, compassionate little cousin, and nothing's going to change that. Glancing at his hands, he took a leap of faith. I guess I'm not the best role model for this. When I was your age, I thought the same things you did about being dead weight, only people actually confirmed those awful ideas to me. And I... He paused, took a breath, continued. I wasn't able to fix that for Lucy. I should have stopped them from forcing those same rotten expectations on my little sister, but I didn't. I know better now. I'm not going to let you face those same monsters alone. So talk to me anytime. I'm always here for you. A pair of small, pale hands clasped around his own. Thank you, Nora said. I'm sorry you didn't have people to take that weight for you. And I'm here, if you have nightmares too. I bet you can't always tell Lucy about them, but you can tell me if you want. Thanks. Nora and Akai sat in silence for a few minutes, wondering how the galaxy had let them find each other when they needed the other most. A chime sounded from the dashboard, interrupting their philosophical queries. Glancing at the data scrolling in on the message board, Nora informed him, It's from Tatooine. It must be Lucy or Cam or Henry. She accepted the call, and a flickering blue image appeared over the projector. Dakai inhaled sharply, his heart a stone in his chest. He didn't recognize the curly-haired figure standing over Henry, 
or the line of loosely clad individuals surrounding them, or the blonde man trapped in a chokehold. But he sure recognized his sister doing the choking. Hey, princess, Henry's assailant said, a triumphant sheen in his voice. Princess's friend, he added with a nod to Dakai. We've been hoping to talk to you for a very long time. Nora's voice held tiny, rumbling tremors. What? Uncle Harrison? You know this guy? Dakai demanded before he could stop himself. He's my mother's brother, Nora told him bitterly. He hardly ever visited. What do you want? Now, that's a question with an easy answer. I want you to hand over this planet to someone who knows how to deal with it. Exchanging a mystified glance with Nora, Dakai's hands instinctively began to clench at his sides. Loose, what's happening? His sister shifted her stance, and he saw a flash of metal in her fist. The man's throat was in considerable danger. I honestly have no idea, she said. One minute we're being kidnapped by these amateurs, the next they're talking about these goofy plans to overthrow the daimyo. We almost escaped. Until we didn't. But you need to listen to me. Don't do anything they tell you to do. I've got a prisoner too, we can work this out. The leader glanced over the blonde man and shrugged. Frankly, he's not important. Go ahead any time you feel like it. Maybe I will, Lucy shot back, though her hand didn't move. Lucy, do not! Whatever that man has done to you, it's not worth his death! Nora warned, her voice breaking in the last word. I'm glad someone thinks so, Harrison replied, the words twining around a branch of amusements. Now, princess, I expect you to be within the Moss Espa city walls within the next two rotations if you know it's good for your friends. As long as you don't hurt them. You have my word. Now hang on, Lucy jumped in. Did everything I just told you about not listening to these dudes go in one ear and out the other, or are you purposefully making bad choices? I'm telling you, things are under control over here. Isn't that right, Henry? The young man lifted his head with some difficulty, as there was a foot pressing down on his back, and he managed a quick, Yes, things are excellent. We're really- uh. He let out a small groan. We're really fine. Well, how about this? Lucy addressed the group around her. You leave my friends alone, or evil minion here gets it. I already told you, child. Go ahead, Harrison said in exasperation. Unless, of course, you can't handle it. That's fine. Be squeamish. Lucy tightened her grip on the blade. Stop that, Dakai snapped. You don't want that kind of weight on your shoulders. The ringleader clicked his tongue. Oh, don't be naive. You've got plenty of blood on your hands already. I heard how you took down most of my squad before we got you under control. What's one more life? No one gets me under control, Lucy growled. Before Dakai had the chance to step in again and play his last card, Henry turned his head and murmured something too quietly for the call to pick up. Lucy looked away, then slowly lowered the knife and released her captive. Two of the surrounding sentries tackled her. We've got a deal! Nora shouted. I'll be there. Wonderful. See you soon, princess. So be it. Dakai ran trembling fingers through his hair as the transmission ended, still trying to process the newly unleashed chaos. Beside him, Nora had her head in her hands. Sit a course for Tatooine, please. She murmured, her voice muffled. As Dakai carried out the instructions, he couldn't help but wonder if they would ever truly be safe, or if they would keep being tested until they finally cracked. Lucy's boot made contact with the stone floor again and again, with increasing velocity and force. 
She and Henry were back in the cell again, only this time there were constantly a minimum of three guards stationed there to prevent last time's escape. Stupid, 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 she mentally pummeled herself. I could have gotten us out of there if I'd just been a minute quicker with Macy, or hadn't stopped to talk with Henry. If I hadn't left the property to meet Henry, we wouldn't have been caught. If I was a better fighter, I could have fought all the initial kidnappers off. If... Unlike the previous day, there were no arguments or conversations in the thick, palpable silence. Lucy held no hope for escape, though it didn't matter anyway. Nora and Akai would be there soon to bargain away the world and completely ignore Lucy's advice. If she could be doing anything in the world in that moment, it would be meeting the kidnapper's leader face to face and punching him until he promised to leave Nora alone. The kid had already been through enough as it was, and Lucy didn't know how much the poor girl could take, how much more either of them could take. Lucy despised that room with every ounce of her being. The silence, the guards staring her down, the lack of options. She hated the feeling of being slowly suffocated, and yet she could have screamed with frustration when the message finally came that her family had arrived. Roughly grabbing their arms, the guards marched Lucy and Henry to the same spacious room from the fight the day before. There were several more villagers in various positions around the room, some with blasters or spears, making Lucy wonder just how many supporters the anti-daimyo group had. Nora and Akai stood in the center of the room, though Lucy's line of sight deliberately ended a few feet away from their shoes. She didn't want either of them to make eye contact and notice the light being drained out of her, giving them more incentive to trade her like a pawn. We need to make one thing clear, Nora announced, a layer of ice encasing her every word. I can't promise you any laws or legal things, because even if my grandfather came back, I can't magically convince him of anything. We're well aware, Harrison said dismissively from behind Lucy. And yet, if his body were to turn up somewhere and he was officially off the throne, I wonder who that would leave as daimyo. On Nora's reply, the ice was speckled with fissures. Just tell me your terms. Yeah, about that. He lifted a hand, signaling four of his lackeys to grab hold of Nora's and Dakai's arms. You don't have to worry your pretty royal head over terms. This was never about what you could politically give to us. At least, not directly. As soon as the planet sees the execution of their daimyo's only heir, the throne will fall right into my hands. Instinctively, Lucy's head shot up towards her friends, who were struggling against their captors with wide eyes. Don't you dare touch her, you thieving stinky! Something prodded into her back and sent stinging bolts of pain through her veins. Sagging to her knees, she bit her cheek to suppress the cry. You're not getting away with this. Henry said from her left, his voice laced with a type of poison she never imagined he could brew. You say you just want your town to be safe, but then you kill a child for publicity like every evil crime lord ever? The people are gonna see right through your lies. The townspeople glanced at each other as Henry's words sank in. Some shifted in discomfort, others gripped their weapons. You wouldn't understand it, kids, their leader scoffed. They see me as a savior, swooping in to rid them of the fet rot. Besides, no one's to attach the princess around here. Gripped with desperation, Dekai's voice shot up above the others. You don't want to do this. Everyone look around. You were just normal people in a normal town before your power-hungry ringleader showed up and forced you to become kidnappers, fighters, killers. Think of your families. Will you be able to face them after being responsible for the murder of a 13-year-old? Can you look your own kids in the eyes after the stain, or will Nora's face haunt you forever? Ignore this blubbering trickster, Harrison called to the uneasy gathering. 
If your daimyo cared about what happened to you, he would have stuck around. As long as this heir lives, your families will continue to starve and live in fear. I would protect you. Nora protested, recovering from her initial panic enough to act. Josh and I would step in and help your city. So you're committing to staying here forever to help these people? Taken aback, Nora opened her mouth, her thoughts ricocheting in her eyes, then closed it in defeat. That's what I thought. We don't need another leader who abandons us the moment you get what you want. And, princess, any non-compliance will bring pain to both you and your friends. The aspiring daimyo clapped his hands. Guards, take them back to their cells. Isolate our royal guest in double security. Use any means necessary if the prisoners resist. Wait, Lucy commanded as the villager gripping her shoulder began to lead her away. As he briefly hesitated, she shouted across the room, Nora, we're going to get you out of this. Don't give up hope, okay? Don't- A hand harshly struck her jaw. That's enough, Jack snarled, hauling her backward. Don't hurt her! Nora shrieked, struggling against her own guard. Wait, Lucy! Smashing her elbow in Jax's face, Lucy called. I promised you would see Poe again, remember? Please don't get yourself hurt for me. The girl begged, her voice breaking. Just do what they say. I'm not worth it. Yes, you are! I said that's enough! Another blow to her head made the room spin. Macy's blurry head filled her vision, and she expected the woman to jeer at her. Instead, she said to Jax, What did I tell you about being humane to the kids? We are to save our planet, not cause more damage. The vice on Lucy's arms loosened ever so slightly. Harrison said to use any means necessary. Violence is not necessary. Watch this. Macy hooked her arm around one of Lucy's and helped Jax drag her not down the stairs she had entered from, but down a new passage. Still trying to clear her head, Lucy rasped, I figured you didn't like me after I knocked you out. I said nothing about liking you, honey. I just don't make exceptions to my morals. The last glimpse Lucy got of the room was Nora's pale, tear-stained face before the dim hallway shut everything else out. Waves of panic continuously rolled over Nora, allowing her to surface for a fleeting moment before dragging her under again. At least when she had been caught by the First Order, she had known they wouldn't kill her. She had never faced death in that way, watching it creep along the horizon towards her. Lucy said she would save me, she thought as the water broke over her. They've always come through for me before. But there are so many enemies. Darkness enveloped her once more. They're gonna kill me. I need Poe. I need my brother. The car staring stoically over her parted, revealing an unwelcome dark-haired man in the doorway. Glad to see you haven't run off. Now that we've got you safely secured, let's talk. The last conversation you'll ever have. Nora flinched and took a step backward towards the stone wall. Is that true? Are these the last words I'll ever hear before? No. They'll rescue me. They have to. Up close, Harrison's heterochromatic eyes were more apparent. One was sharp hazel, the other icy blue. The shape of his jawline, which was dotted with ashtone stubble, was more similar to her own than she would have liked. Why are you doing this? Nora asked, feeling that no matter how many answers she got, she would never understand. Haven't I made myself clear? Your grandfather was never around to help his people in times of need. 
He was always locked away in his palace or off-world, while my people suffered and starved. Your arrival was only another distraction for him until he got tired of loving you and disappeared. What do we have now? An absent daimyo, a child as his only heir, and you wouldn't even let me step in as acting ruler for you. It's no surprise Tatooine hates your side of the family. Ichmer knocked more air out of her lungs. If she had realized the hardships facing Tatooine, she would have... done what? As Harrison had said, she had only been a child. Was still a child. My grandfather's still out there, she challenged, her hands curling into fists. He wouldn't let you do this. That is, if he actually cares. If he does come running at the news of your death, I'll finish him off. If not, the throne's open anyway, and the people will embrace a new, fair leader. Harrison's eyes narrowed. You kids don't understand life. I know in your make-believe world, you see good and bad. Heroes and villains. You. He pointed at her. And me. He motioned towards himself, his facial features hardening. Nothing is as black and white as a child views it. I do want the city to thrive. I know it can, and that is the reason I fight so hard for it. Call it extremism, call it violence. But I call it standing my ground and showing up every day because I know there's a better future out there, and I'm willing to make it happen, no matter the cost. Feeling the real rawness of his words, Nora realized his passion was genuine. She was tempted to just hand him the throne he craved, let him build the future he saw so vividly. But then he remembered him pinning Henry under his boot, trying to taunt Lucy into using her shaking knife, ready to sacrifice a villager for no purpose at all. And she understood. Harrison believed in what he was doing, but he was willing to let the world burn down around him without a care, which made him the most dangerous kind of person. You don't deserve the throne, Nora said fiercely. You have no moral barriers. No problem hurting the people who aren't useful to you. No matter how much you want Tantooine to thrive, you aren't capable of getting there without cruelty. Until you do that, you're never going to be a leader. Nora had found her courage. The courage she thought she had lost a long time ago. I didn't pretend to be ready for the throne. But I know more than you do about being barren kind. You'll hurt these people. And then whatever sense of power you build will come crashing down around you. Tensing, she waited for the blow. But it never came. Harrison only gave out a dark chuckle. Bold words for your last hour. I don't think I'll kill your friends yet. Better to let them witness your execution first. Take heart, princess. They won't suffer on your behalf for much longer. He raised a hand, and the guards took hold of Nora's arms, pulling her one step closer to the end. On the bright side, the new cell had an actual door, making it possible to openly plot an escape. However, they had yet to actually do so, since Dakai was still fussing over her injuries like a mother convor. Musika, please, Dakai groaned, his hair sticking up in places from running his hands through it so often. He lifted his bound hands to touch Lucy's bruised jaw. Please stop starting conflicts with kidnappers. You didn't accomplish anything, it makes them on higher alert, and you're all banged up again. So you're saying I should just let them drag Nora away and make no effort to resist the people who want to execute her? No, I just... Giving her a weary look, his shoulders sagged. I can't lose both of you. 
Henry spoke up, seemingly spurred by the mental time bomb in everyone's minds. That brings up the point that we wouldn't just let us loose into civilization after executing Nora. Right now, we're alive because we're bargaining chips if Nora puts up a fight. But that only goes so far. Exactly! Lucy motioned toward Henry in emphatic agreement. If we don't try to escape, we are all going to die, so it really doesn't matter if Nora tries to heroically save us. We're going to rescue her whether she wants us to or not. Nodding firmly, her brother added, And it doesn't matter if there's no chance of success, because there's no hope for us anyway. You always worry the pessimistic one, Lucy muttered. You literally just said we were all going to die either way. But you say it so cheerfully! That doesn't make sense. Okay. Henry interrupted gently, giving each sibling a tight smile. So we're all in favor of escaping. We'll start from the beginning. How will we get out of this room? Well, Dekai began, then hesitated, scratching his head and letting several more tufts of hair stick up. We... well, we could... Brows furrowing, Lucy drummed her fingers on her knees. Maybe when they change shift? No. That's okay. Henry said, although even his hopeful tone was beginning to warp. We don't need to figure this out right this second. Maybe we should get some sleep. Lucy snorted. It would be easier to sleep with the reins of Camino than here. Don't ask. Slumping against the wall, Dakai let out a sigh that struggled under the weight of the universe. We need to think. Who knows how long we have before... Well, we don't have much time. Maybe we should just try to kick down the door right now? No! Lucy and Henry shouted. Okay, okay, I take it back. Do either of you have any ideas? Lucy buried her face in Nakai's shoulder. I don't know. I just want us all to go home. She bit back the tears and focused on the rise and fall of her brother's chest, his soft jacket, his chin tilting down to nuzzle her head. She was so, so tired of sand and betrayals and escapes. The sound of a bolt being turned reached her ears, but she couldn't make herself care. What was the point of the past six months if it was all going to end here anyway? Why did the universe plant these people in her life if it was just going to rip them away again? How did her life matter if she couldn't even save the people closest to her? She let the guards march in without lifting her head. When one tried to pull her away from Nakai, she kicked and shouted and swore because it didn't matter what they did to her. Nothing on the whole filthy desert planet mattered. They could fight her all they wanted, but she wasn't letting go. Finally, though she couldn't make it out between all her mounting rage and Dakai's shouts and everyone's combined chaotic noises, one of the guards said something with exhausted defeat, and she was back at her brother's side. He kissed her hair and murmured, Don't give up. Don't let them win. I promise you, they're going to pay. Cradling that small spark, she let the villagers pull them out of the cell. She needed the fuel for her anger the cotter to the control bleeding out of her. Without it, there was nothing stopping her from crumbling into the frigid void below. How did I let this happen? Cam felt ready to tear his hair out in frustration, and likely would have if it weren't for Drash's collected voice of reason. Look, I admit, family drama isn't my area of expertise, but I do know teenagers. They would have ended up in hot water with or without your help. Sometimes the situation is entirely out of your control. Don't take this the wrong way, but you might just have to move on with your life. 
scowling, Cam grabbed the data pad off the table and punched in the numbers. The Batir's tracking ID was engraved into his mind after hours of repetition, but his tech skills weren't making any difference in the hunt for his team. Still, he had to keep trying for Nora. Nora. When he said goodbye as she left for the medical station, he had never thought she might never come back. She reminded him so much, too much, of his son. They had the same soft smile, sparkling eyes, childlike exuberance. But Brooke had grown up and moved out of his father's reach, gotten involved with the wrong crowd. Cam only hoped Nora would stay in his life a little longer. Ignoring me now, are we? I'll be in the main hall when you decide to take my advice. Trash made an exasperated noise and sauntered out of the hangar, which Cam had taken over to use as his workspace. He knew he wasn't making any progress. He knew the routine of flipping through comm channels, checking the local news, glancing at the security feed, and staring at the trackers was only a meaningless ritual to keep himself busy. But, as he knew too well, stopping before anything less than confirmation would tear him apart with guilt. Come on, Nora. Come on. Come on. Cam startled when the heavy gate at the front of the hangar began rising open with a grinding, sputtering sound. As the blazing sunlight filtered into the growing doorway, the silhouette of a lone figure materialized in the entryway. Maneuvering out from behind the desk to get a better vantage point, Cam raised his hand to his forehead and gruffly called out, Who are you, and what business do you have here? The figure strode into the hangar at a casual pace, as if they hadn't a care in the world. With the light no longer pressing against his back, Cam could make out worn, pale green armor plates and a matching helmet tucked under the newcomer's arm. His breath caught as he recognized the familiar design he had spent years searching for. Who are you? The man shot back with a rim of tension. What business do you have in my home? Just like any ion engineer datapad, the pieces clicked into place. You're Boba Fett, Cam said carefully. You're back, after all these years. And you are an intruder came the low response. I ask again, who are you, and what is the state of the palace? If he was being honest, Cam didn't love the prospect of telling the famed bounty hunter everything about the current situation, and he got the feeling Fett had one finger already around the trigger. However, refusing to answer the question wouldn't get him much further. I'm a friend. Of New Orleans, that is. I'm Cam. Your palace is perfectly alright. Drash has taken good care of it. Some of the airborne tension melted at the mention of Nora's name. A deep, soulful shift took place behind Vet's eyes. Norlin, is she here? No. Cam dug his fingers into the leather covering his palms. She isn't. The pain that tore through his chest at the confession filled him with a sudden urge to act. Nora isn't here, he repeated, strength swarming to his words like moths to a flame. And I need your help to bring her back. The weathered brown eyes stared back at him for several moments. In a spurt of heightened sensitivity, Cam's heartbeat skidded back and forth in his clenched fist. There was a new tension along his jaw as he waited for the man to either shoot him on the spots or save him. Before he got an answer, footsteps pounded down the stone steps nearby, and Drash flew into the hangar. She gave the formerly missing daimyo an appraising glance, then simply said, Well, you're just in time, sir. I've laid on those hooligans. I mean, beloved children. We need to get to Mosaspa, preferably within the next 20 minutes. Drash and Cam both turned to gauge Boba Fett's reaction. He gave a short nod, stepped forward, and said, Let's talk on the way.
Dakai's stomach was in knots. For once, they had not a fraction of a game plan, and time was running out. Marching through the streets of Mos Espa, the dreary possession was lit by blazing sun, straining to reach the horizon line. They were witnessed by narrowed eyes pressed to windows, and civilians on the road who abandoned all pretense of work. None of the faces appeared outright malicious, but no one made a move to help. Her fingers digging into Dakai's arm, Lucy spat several Mandoa curses as they approached the city plaza, an open expanse circled by sandstone buildings, furnished only by a garish stage at its center, the perfect arena for public execution. Nora was conspicuous at the head of the group, a shaking, disheveled blonde figure surrounded by impassive beige. To her credit, her head was held high in a silent act of defiance, even as she was forced to kneel at the front of the stage. We'll begin the execution in ten minutes, Harrison announced, eyeing his pawns. You four, gather the civilians. Tell them the time for change is upon us. It took all of Dakai's will to hold himself together when people began streaming into the square. As the older sibling, it was his responsibility to be a source of comfort and strength. But who would be there when he couldn't go on? When he lost sight of the light? People of Moss Espa, I bring before you today the symbol of our pain, the source of our torments. Takai watched Harrison's back as he spoke, channeling all his hatred and hopelessness into his gaze. All possible actions slipped from his grasp. Norlin Fett, the heir to the Daimyo throne, has done nothing to cure our torments. She and her grandfather stand on the sidelines as the rest of us rot. A suffocating feeling gripping his head, Dakai turned to Henry with a despairing glance and tried to keep his surprise off his face. The other man was subtly nodding to something behind Dakai, his eyes filled with bright determination. Before he could look over his shoulder, a head came barreling into his neck with a cry. Lucy's voice was barely audible in his ear. We move the moment his blaster comes out. You and Henry grab Harrison. I'll get his weapon. Act concerned in the meantime. Aware of the guard's eyes on them, Dakai said, Don't cry, Luce. I've got you. Attaboy, she whispered, throwing in a loud sniffle for the onlooker's benefits. Unaware of the plot behind him, Harrison continued, We have lost family, jobs, or very safety thanks to his abandonment, while he remains unharmed. It's time to make him feel a fraction of our loss and win back our lives. He slid a blaster out of his belt holster and began to raise it toward Nora. In unison, the three teammates surged forward, ripping free of the guard's grips. Henry was closest to the orator and wrapped an arm around his neck to pull him down. Dakai seized Harrison's upper arms from behind. What in the blazes? I wouldn't struggle if I were you. Lucy's voice came crisply from around the captive. From the way Harrison's muscles tensed, she must have successfully taken the blaster from him. You fools, he spat. You won't kill me, child. Won't I? You said yourself. It's one more life. Henry abruptly shouted, Lucy, behind you! As grunts and the sound of boots scrabbling on rock filled the air, Dakai was wrenched away from Harrison and finally got a view of the other side of the platform. One of the villagers previously holding Nora was now joining the group attempting to restrain Lucy, her dark hair tossing in the fight. Jax was now in possession of the blaster and was pressing it to Lucy's head. Let's try this again, Harrison said smoothly, skating over the fact that he had just been held at blaster point in front of all of Mas Espa. You, he nodded to Jax, kill the girl. Gladly, Jax sneered, his finger curling around the trigger. The other girl, fool. Scowling, he retrained the blaster on Nora. The world was spinning too fast for Dakai to comprehend what was about to happen. After all those battles, all those months, was it just going to end here? Then 
He spotted a figure standing in the entrance of the town square. Nikai's breath caught in his throat. Wait! He shouted, and the crowd rotated as one toward the newcomer. Harrison. A metallic voice spoke through a moss-green helmet. That's enough. You've overstayed your welcome in my town. Harrison threw back his head as he began to laugh. Look who decided to show up, everyone. Our long-lost daimyo here to throw more empty promises at us. I've got a lot more than a promise to give you. Boba Fett lifted a crimson gauntlet to fire at the other man. Before he could see the result of the attempt, the whine of a laser met Dekai's ears. He twisted to look over his shoulder, and was more relieved than he had ever imagined Cam's face would make him feel. The older man fired more stun bolts from hidden weapons on the arms of his hover chair, cutting through guards as he sped around the platform. Dragging two villagers off of Lucy, Drash threw one across the square with her cybernetic arm. Harrison and Boba were still grappling in a heated duel. Beyond them, a woman Dekai recognized as one of Harrison's company was ushering the civilians out of the square. A strange act for a villain, but he didn't have time to ponder it. Need a hand? Henry offered, appearing at his side with a silver knife. He made quick work of the bonds on Dekai's wrists before darting away. Something nailed Dekai in the shoulder. His fists were up before he had finished spinning around, but they were easily batted away. Hey, it's me, Lucy said with an annoying smirk. A punch for luck. Let's show them how Vinks roll. Together, they raced toward the guards, heading for the exit. In less than ten seconds, she had knocked the living daylight out of one and was on top of another. It took Dukai much longer than it should have to remember Nora. His sweet, frightened cousin was looking around wildly as Henry attempted to untie her. Several guards were surrounding them and stalling the rescue. As Lucy seemed to be handling her foes fine without him, he made up his mind and ran back towards Nora, throwing two guards viciously to the side just as Nora's bonds finally broke. Deal with these bantha brains. I'll get her out of here, he told Henry, who offered a stiff nod and picked up an abandoned staff. Nora kept up surprisingly well as they sped through the courtyard toward the hole Lucy and Cam were making in the defense. Henry and Della were not too far behind. When Dekai glanced over his shoulder, Drash was dealing with a few stragglers. Boba and Harrison had taken their battle to the very edge of the square. I have to help my grandfather, Nora said hoarsely from his side. Wrenching her hand out of Dekai's, she sprinted back in the direction they'd just come with shocking agility. Nora! Dekai threw his hands into the air in exasperation. Come on! Something knocked him to the side of his head, and he spun around to find a whole new line of guards to replace the ones Lucy had taken down. Great, he muttered internally, then hit the guard back. Nora's heart was tripping along as she ran past the lines and lines of guards and villagers in the way of her path. Harrison had managed to wrestle Boba to the ground and slammed his head against the Cindy Road. The other men lay still with a groan. Nora's vision burned as she crossed the final few yards between her and the conflict. When she was as close as she needed to be, she picked up her right leg and round-kicked the gun out of Harrison's hand. Don't you dare hurt my grandfather, she spat, putting herself in front of Boba protectively. She had begun to reach for her lightsaber, only to remember she had left down the batir. Harrison only chuckled. You! A small, scared child to think you can defeat me. I'm sorry, but I thought you knew by now not to meddle in things you can't handle. Nora stood her ground, a stern look pressed on her face. I can handle a lot more than you think. She mustered all the strength she could gather from the force and whipped around him at an untraceable speed. Before he could even turn around, she kicked his legs out from under him and shoved him forward. Harrison tripped with a grunt. But he didn't stay down for long. All this time, I've watched this city suffer, he growled, 
because of the misuse of the throne, you are not going to erase years of work to do something right for this planet for once. People go hungry, violence plagues our streets, and you sit in your palace, oblivious to it all. Nora's eyes softened as she readied her stance. And I'm so very sorry. I will do my best to help correct mistakes of the past. But these people do not need an extremist as Daimyo. They do not need someone who mutters in cruel blood to tell them how to act. That's why we need to end this now. I agree with your motives, but I do not agree with how you choose to bring your hopes to reality. Harrison swung a punch at her. Nor sidestepped. He couldn't hear her through all the aspirations marching through his head, and she understood that. But people could change. Not all allowed themselves to, and not all could do it even when they did try. But there was always a chance. That was what Nora stood for, and that was what let her keep fighting. Staying largely on defensive, she blocked his attacks and threw in a couple strikes herself. She aimed a punch for his face, only for him to grab her fist and throw her to the ground. You put up a good fight. Harrison sneered, towering over her. But I'm not in the mood to drag this out any longer. You're going to die, princess, in the hypocrisy of the throne with you. He took a warm blaster out of his belt and took aim. The gritty ground dug into Nora's elbows as she raised her head to stare at the ebony barrel. The sun was a sharp explosion of light against her corneas, and somewhere inside her head was a muted pulsing. For the first time, Nora brought her attention inside herself and realized something. She wasn't afraid to die. She certainly didn't want to, but it wasn't the idea of death itself that scared her. It was leaving the people she loved behind. There were so many people she loved. Poe, Leia, Drash, her grandfather, the Star Collectors, her team, who started as strangers and turned into family. They were all still here, still waiting for her still believing in her and putting their faith in her. They all loved her back. If this was the end, then so be it. But she didn't feel like it was. How could it be an ending when the world continued around her, filled with joy and life and family? It was the beginning of a chapter where she took pride in her own strength and heart, where her family went on in her spirit no matter where she was where she loved and lived and cared and felt and celebrated the miracles all around her. The beginning of something amazing. She looked Harrison in the eyes with the wisdom of a much older person in her 13-year-old gaze and told him, I see her, and I'm going to be better because of it. With a sudden rush of power, she flipped herself up off the ground and landed in front of the man, this human, this person with feelings and thoughts and ideas that no one had ever exactly had before and no one would exactly have again. She reached out with one small, steady hand and pulled the weapon out of his cold grasp with the force. A look of outrage passed across his face until one of cruel delight shifted over his expression. With the speed of a womp rat, he yanked a smaller rifle from an holster on his thigh and fired. As the screaming pain raced down her left shoulder, Harrison toppled to the ground with a steaming blaster hole in his chest. The space he had once occupied revealed not only Nora's cousins, but Nora's grandfather, Boba Fett himself. 
Each had their own blaster pointed at Harrison's limp body. Lucy was the first to reach Nora, enveloping her in a hug. Thank the Force, she murmured. You're here. You're still here. Of course I am, Nora replied with a cheerful laugh, overcome by the concept of getting to hug her cousin again. I would never leave you without saying goodbye. Lifting her eyes, she saw Drash helping Boba to his feet. His eyes crinkled at the corners when he saw her, and his voice was rough but kind. My dear Norlin, I'm so glad to see you again. You must have many questions, I know, and I'll do my best to answer them. But Lucy absurdly blocked his path with her arms crossed. Now hold up, she said. You don't get to leave this kid and the rest of the world wondering where you disappeared to all these years, then show up with all your my dear Norlin talk. How do we know you're not someone impersonating Boba Fett? Of course, even if you are Boba Fett, how do we know you're not evilly plotting against us like everyone else in this sorry desert? Nora shook her head and laughed, momentarily forgetting the pain in her shoulder. Lucy, he's okay. He's my grandfather. No, no. The guy interrupted, joining the group to stand next to his sister. We're not going through the whole betrayed by long-lost family members thing again. You don't deserve to talk to Nora. Boba looked his age in that moment, letting out a weary sigh. You're right. I owe you an explanation. Come, children. Let's talk to my palace. Bold of you to call it your palace, Takai retorted. Lucy gave her brother a dirty look and muttered out of the corner of her mouth. It is his palace, Dakut. He's the freaking daimyo. This is basically his planet. Guys, I promise he's okay, Nora repeated. Trust me. Please? Lucy blinked from inside and let her shoulders droop. Fine. We'll follow you to the palace. Boba nodded his thanks. After retrieving the other team members, they followed Cam to a hover skiff he had parked on the outskirts of town. The ride gave Nora a few minutes to collect her thoughts and steady her still skidding heart. At the palace, the mismatched bunch settled in the dining room. Dekai retrieved Nora's med kit and assisted Henry in patching her wound. How did you find us, anyway? Lucy asked, leaning back in her chair. It was all trash, really. Cam admitted, nodding towards the mentioned woman. She heard from one of her scouts that something big was happening in town, so we came running. If it weren't for this guy refusing to let us give up on you, though, I wouldn't have checked the report soon enough to get you guys in time, Drash pointed out. Then our esteemed daimyo happened to show up on our doorstep a moment later, so we let him tag along. Thank you, Nora told her friends earnestly. You saved my life again, and I appreciate your help, grandfather, but where have you been all these years, and what made you come back now? Drasha Kim made quiet excuses and retreated from the room to give the two privacy. Giving her bandage a final wrap, Henry and Dekai packed up their supplies and followed suit. Actually, Lucy, could you stay? Nora asked before her cousin had fully stood up. Oh, um, if you're sure you don't mind. Lucy settled back down at an inferno smile from Nora. Bubba led her aside, burdened by the life it had seen. I suppose I should start at the beginning. I didn't want to leave you, Nora, but I had no choice. You see, word had gone out that Bo-Katan Kree's ruler of Mandalore had passed away. 
I planned to come back for you a few weeks after the riots had settled down and I had gotten the planet in order. However, being a new ruler was taxing, and by the time I could get a day to return to Tatooine, you had already run away. I was distraught, but you left no clues as to where you'd gone. I could only hope you were safe. I know it sounds selfish, but our people needed a leader or they would fall apart. We couldn't survive another civil war. Lucy scoffed and strained in her chair. You're right. It does sound selfish. There are plenty of other Mandalorians who would take the throne. You're already the leader of one planet. You didn't need to go get another one under your belt. You don't understand, Bo said softly. They never treated me like a true Mandalorian because of my father. And he was a more skilled and loyal man than most. It was my chance to step up and show that I was one of them. Nora knew how that felt, and a bit of her heart softened. Unfortunately, Lucy knew too. Oh. She snorted, her voice rising. You think I don't understand? You think I go around being accepted by the Resistance, even though I was a Mandalorian, and by the Mandalorians, even though I left, and by the galaxy, even though it has never cared what happened to me? I understand better than anyone, but you don't see me collecting royal titles across the galaxy! Nor began to reach towards Lucy's shoulder, then thought better of it. I appreciate your defense of me, she said gently. I've got my doubts too, but we're all trying to learn from our mistakes. It's better to face them now than to let her get Simma. Boba pursed his lips. I don't expect you to forgive me, Nora. I know I can't fix the past, but I promise to fix the present alongside you, if you'll stay. A quiet ache resurfaced in Nora's heart, and she took his weathered, wrinkled hand in her own. I'm sorry, but I can't stay with you just yet. We have a few more adventures left to finish, and you're needed on Mandalore. There is still the matter of Daimyo, though. I've actually got a thought on that. Lucy spoke up. I know someone who fights for her planet, but knows what her limps are. She didn't let her peers hurt me and Henry in their fight for justice. During the battle, she made sure the civilians weren't caught in the crossfire. There is a woman named Macy in Mos Espa who would be a strong candidate for Daimyo. Thank you. I'll have to look into it. Boba acknowledged. How long are you all staying before it's off to the next adventure, as you put it? Exchanging a thoughtful glance with Lucy, Nora said, I think once you see what I found, we'll want to get going right away. Wait, what? Lucy raised an eyebrow. Have you been hiding something from us again? I'll explain everything, I promise. But first, I'm going to go retrieve our things from the better. I'm realizing my lightsaber is very handy to have around. At Boba's startled expression, Nora informed him, There's a lot to catch up on, Grinfella, but thanks to you, we have time. Why do I get the feeling everything's about to change again? Nora beamed and let her cousin enter her quarters. Hello to you too. Once, Lucy's blunt greeting had made her squirm but she couldn't imagine any other life now. Since we arrived here, I felt something calling to me in the force. I wasn't sure what it was, and I didn't want to tell you and get your hopes up. Leaving Lucy to have a seat on the bed, 
Nora retrieved her umber-toned leather satchel. She continued, after a few weeks of searching the palace for this presence, I finally found it the day before Dekai and I left for the medical station. I didn't say anything because I didn't want things to change so soon. I wanted us to have another moment of peace, to have a home for a while. After what happened with Hassan, though, I'm realizing time is a luxury. Offering Lucy a tight smile, Nora unfastened the bag's latch and raised the flap. When I was younger, my grandfather told me a story. He meant it as a sort of game that I might be excited by the idea of buried treasure. Long before I was born, a friend of his stopped by the palace with an unusual request. He said he'd been tasked with hiding a genetic artifact on this particular planet. He wanted to keep it here, where it wasn't likely to be plundered, and it could rest in one of the dozens of rooms or passages without ever being noticed. Only a Force-sensitive could find it without knowing its exact location. Cautiously reaching in her satchel, her fingers landed on the cool metal, and she unearthed a cube with golden accents lining the clear crystal surface. This is an artifact, I think. A shadow holocron. Lucy only stared at the world-shaking relic, smiling uncertainly. So, this does what, exactly? Determined not to let this reaction hinder her excitement, Nora explained. A holocron is a device fortresses can store information in. There are very few left after the fall of the Jedi Temple, and the ones remaining are often found by people who don't understand their significance. Anything could be in this one. A video of Jedi training, pictures from their temple, stories from thousands of years ago. It could really help me with my training. Oh. Lucy brightened. In that case, this is great. You do know how to access whatever is inside, right? I believe so. Let's find out. Nora tapped into her core, rivers of sapphire light flowing through her palm to the cube. It lifted into the air and started to rotate in place. With a single mental command, the four corners began to twist away from the sides and float just apart from the rest of the artifact, which began to glow the same blue as her powers. A projected image shot out of the center of the holocron, expanding to fill the majority of the room. Hundreds of dots formed an instantly recognizable map of the galaxy, showing star systems, asteroid belts, and the black hole that made up the core. A yellow marker hovered above a small planet deep in the outer rim. That's Abafar, Lucy said, her voice reverent at the hologram's display. I've heard it's even less fascinating than Tatooine. What could possibly be there? Nora's eyes were fixed on the marker as if it was the only light in the room. Maybe an old Jedi temple, or some other cultural location. Or a Jedi. Nora's head snapped up. You think there are more out there? Maybe someone to teach me about my abilities? We'll find out, won't we? Yes, I suppose. Nora stopped and looked up at her cousin. We? Even as Lucy shrugged casually, her eyes sparkled with laughter. I'm not about to let you go on a wild adventure without me. You're going to need a heroic bodyguard after all. She flexed a rather impressive bicep and grinned. Wait, where are we going? 
Gaza emerged in the doorway as he munched on a Ronto further. To follow an old Jedi map to who knows what on a different dustball planet. Taking this information in stride, the young man nodded and said, I'll tell the others. The Karaz all fueled up. With a sharp salute, his head disappeared from sight. Looks like we're all going, Nora noted, looking back at the map. Abafar seems so close, but she had learned not to expect a straight path to get there. She felt a strong hand on her shoulder and glanced up. Lucy's warm, umber eyes met hers. Hey, you. Even if we don't find anything, I trust you. Got that? We're family. Family sticks together. Especially the kind you make along the way. I know. Nora inhaled the aged, dusty scent of the holocron and smiled. Excitement rushed through her veins alongside the same force that held the holocron afloat. A year ago, she could have never imagined the adventures, friends, family, and wisdom she would have gained. Now, despite the hardships lining the road, the path forward had never been clearer. Norlin Faith Fett was going home. To be continued. A note from the authors. However cliche this sounds, this book has truly been a labor of love. Since we began this project last October, I have constantly looked forward to the times when I can sit down and discover where the story will take us next. These characters feel like family to me, and I hope you can relate to them too. One of the things I focused on the most in this story was keeping it as realistic as possible. Well, as realistic as a space opera filled with forest users and Mandalorians can be, of course. In real life, everyone handles trauma and struggles in their own way. Nora tries to hide her pain so she isn't a burden, and in case this wasn't clear before, asking for help is not being a burden, but she otherwise shows it through fear. Lucy turns her emotional luggage into anger and grief. Dekai's output is through guilt and worry. None of these are any more right than the others. They are just different ways people cope. And just to be clear, Addie and I are in no way trying to make light of these issues such as abuse, violence, and trauma in this novel. We additionally acknowledge that these things are not 100% accurately depicted here. To end things on a high note, it has always been my philosophy that Star Wars is a community above all else, and that it is such a magical franchise that brings people together. I hope you, the listener, have felt welcomed and connected throughout this book, and maybe even made some new friends. In the spirit of community, I would like to acknowledge some special people who made this story possible. Addie, you have been an absolute rock star of a writing partner. You create fantastic characters and scenes, and when I get stuck on something, you practically read my mind and come up with the solution. Your friendship has brought me so much joy over the past several months, and I will never forget the wondrous adventures of Nora and Lucy. Thank you for making this dream possible. Special thanks to Retta and Emma for sharing your experiences with me and helping me write Cam in the most accurate way. Your support means so much to me, and I hope I have done this character justice and opened the door for these conversations society needs to have. Let's all give a round of applause to the Empire Radio community for so many reasons. You opened up some amazing friendships for me. You inspired me to start my own podcasting journey. You created a safe community to build the VCU from. The list goes on. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Huge thank you to Emily for inspiring me to start writing in the first place all those years ago. 
you were the first person I ever read my fan fiction to, and your support encouraged me to keep trying. You're my fireplace. Mom, Dad, and Henry, I am so grateful to you for your support and love. You introduced me to Star Wars, supported my interests, taught me to write, listened to me chatter excitedly about this book, supported my podcast, and been here for me no matter what. And Henry, you inspire me even when you don't realize it. Your spirit is essential to many of these characters. I love you all very much. Thank you, loyal listeners, for sticking with us through thick and thin. There would be, quite literally, no podcast without your support. Your voicemails, emails, reviews, etc. make my day, and I'm grateful for each and every one of you. Finally, thank you, God, for this surreal experience and all the friendships I've made along the way. I'll see you next time, and may the Force be with you all. Okay, mine is not going to be as professional as Lucy's, but whatever. To be honest, when Lucy offered to do this, my life got ever so much better. At the time, I was just a normal, homeschooled, almost teenager trying to find something to do with my free time. I've been sending voicemails and emails to Lucy for a while before she asked me to write this book, and obviously, I said yes the first chance I got. Back then, I was just trying to be a good writer, and trust me when I say I have a lot of docs with failed story attempts on my laptop. This book has given me a chance to use my creativity and imagination to the fullest, from helping decide the plot to even creating my own character. I found a sense of freedom with my writing, and it's all thanks to you, Lucy. Through the ups and downs of writing, we surely stuck out the storm, and I'm glad to call you my friend. I hope that people will relate with these characters and realize that they're not alone, and it's okay to ask for help sometimes. This book has been the best thing in my life. Lucy is my best friend. She has been there for me through everything that I've been through this year and hopefully the next. She has been my biggest supporter for my pod, and I can't imagine a life without you. And I can't wait till the day we get to meet in person in the not-so-distant future. Thank you, everyone. I love you, and God loves you, too. About the authors. Addie is a 13-year-old Christian from Texas. Ever since she was two, Addie had been growing up in a small town in northern Colorado with her parents and younger sister, Embry. The same town her two other younger siblings were born in. Addie lived in Colorado for seven years before her parents moved them to a town in eastern central Texas. She's been happy ever since. Ever since she was five, Addie had been an on and off Star Wars fan, from watching the sequels in theaters to even having her own dolls with iconic characters such as Princess Leia, Sabine Wren, and Rey. It wasn't until I turned nine that she was truly a Star Wars fan when The Mandalorian was released on Disney+. Plus. Nearly a year later, Addie found the joy of writing, of putting her ideas and hopes of Star Wars and other fandoms into words and wrote her first ever fanfiction book and has been writing ever since. Some of her works include The Child of Ren, Where's the Fourth, Years to Come, The Roseblood and the Alchemist, and her latest project, You're Worth It More Than You Know a modern AU twist on the iconic show The Bad Batch. When Addie isn't writing, you will most likely find her singing, doing the martial arts of Taekwondo, babysitting, and spending time with her two best friends, Regan and Sarah. 
To hear more of her work, please listen to her podcast, Jedi Archives, on Spotify. Since she was seven years old, Lucy has been obsessively writing Star Wars fanfiction, whether through plays, short stories, travels, and now full-length novels. Her previous works include Maybe She'll Come Back, Lead Us, Not Even a Jedi, and over 30 others. On those rare occasions when she isn't writing, Lucy enjoys playing piano, acting, baking, singing, and of course, podcasting. She writes to give voices to perspectives that are often overlooked and to create a more open-minded reality. You can contact her at forlightandlife.podcast at gmail.com. Well, that's it. Of course, we still have to give author comments, and boy, do I have a lot of them. First of all, poor Dakai is just constantly beating himself up for the events of the VCU, which is just so sad. I mean, this quote alone is heartbreaking. He felt like confining himself to his seat for an eternity, harmless to the ship's controls, incapable of causing more pain. I would also like to highlight a mini quote that is too small to bother adding and editing, which is, his head a mess of dirt and thorns. I'm very proud of this metaphor. Most of you are probably aware of the rose and thorns activity, in which you name something positive in your life, a rose, and also something that you might be struggling with, or a thorn. Well, Dakai can't think of anything positive in this moment, so not only is he filling his head with negative thorns, but he also feels like his soul has been dirtied for the things he's done, thus dirt. And another quote! But if not apologize, what could he do to fill the chasm in his soul? There was no remedy for the kinds of things he'd done. No Jedi trick to heal his brokenness. My goodness, the feels! And this brings us to the human dilemma. Apologies don't fix everything, so what does fix everything? Short answer, nothing, because not everything can be fixed. I don't have the long answer. Dakai knows that not even a Jedi, throwback to that drabble, can fix his pain, and Jedi are supposed to be the heroes of the galaxy. So if they can't fill the chasm or heal his brokenness, then what can? I'll tell you right now, it's time and love! Okay, let's take a break from that and move on to poor Nora. The moral of this story is that no one is a burden for asking for help or not being okay all the time. Got that, all of you. It is okay to not be okay! Woo, I need to calm down. Now, we see Lucy sort of returning to her old violent habits, which is not helped by Harrison's goading. What was Dakai's last card he was going to play, and what did Henry tell Lucy to make her stop? Things we'll never know, but you can sure imagine it. However, amidst this darkness, we have got some very funny moments, such as Henry's very unconvincing We're really fine. Clearly, if there's one thing Lucy is desperate for, it's control. I'll be the first to admit, she would be an awful Jedi. Terrible. She uses violence to get control. She hates the cell because she has no control there. She refuses to look at Nora and Dakai to keep herself from losing the appearance of control. Frankly, it's her biggest weakness, which is very important to know. Let's highlight this quote about Henry. His voice laced with a type of poison she never imagined he could brew. I love the metaphors in this chapter, but more importantly, this is really the first time we've heard Henry be angry. He's always the cool-headed one, knowing what to say and what people are feeling. 
And he still knows what people are feeling. But this time, he's using it to change the townspeople's allegiances, not to make anyone feel heard or comforted. He's using his power in different ways. Also in that scene, we have a very interesting example of how each of these characters react to danger. Lucy goes right back to anger and insults. Henry uses his logical observations about what the villagers will think. Dekai reaches for a very vulnerable part of himself and reminds them how it would feel to kill a child and how it would haunt them. Flashbacks to the first scene of this chapter. Nora doesn't take any aggressive actions. She only makes promises to be better and tries to negotiate. This is all very in character and a fascinating comparison, I think. Then, after the very intense fight scene last chapter, Macy still steps in to protect the kids. This quote basically sums it up. I said nothing about liking you, honey. I just don't make exceptions to my morals. That's a pretty awesome moral compass, if you ask me. And another great metaphor. This idea of waves of panic was so fun to play around with. Nora gets in a few positive thoughts, but keeps being pulled under with negativity. I'll say this about Harrison. He does have real questionable morals. As Nora puts it, he's got the right motives, but the entirely wrong methods of achieving them. However, he is so much fun to voice. First of all, I love voicing male characters because it is fun to have a lower voice. But second of all, he is so lively. Sure, it's not a very nice kind of life, but he's always either chuckling darkly or commanding attention or evilly taunting people. And that's really fun. My entertainment aside, this quote puts it really simply. Harrison believed in what he was doing, but he was willing to let the world burn down around him without a care, which made him the most dangerous kind of person. So yeah, people who really believe in what they do have a lot of fuel with which to accomplish that stuff, which makes them hard to knock down and also blurs the line between good and evil. But we love a good gray antagonist. It's also worth noting that when Nora lashes out at Harrison, he doesn't go around smashing things or hitting her or aggressively pulling out lightsabers, which makes him quite different from Kylo Ren. Let's just say he has self-control, and Ren really doesn't. I love the next scene so much. We've got Mandoa nicknames, which I love so much, Ack. In case, for some odd reason, you are not fluent in Mandoa, you can basically just slap the suffix Ika onto anything and make it little. In our case, Lucika becomes little Lucy, which is just so precious. But also, this line. No, I just... Giving her a weary look, his shoulders sagged. I can't lose both of you. Is so sad, because Dakai really relies on Lucy and Nora to keep himself afloat in the galaxy. And then, I bring you the ultimate VCU film throwback joke. It would be easier to sleep with the reins of Camino than here. Don't ask. Let's just say Addy and I spent a full 56 seconds cackling about this, which you will hear in the upcoming bloopers episode. Will, if you're listening, accept this space fist bump. This next little section, in which Lucy completely loses it when the guards try to separate her into Kai, was one of the most fun five paragraphs to write in the book. In the first draft, the energy was more sad, but that did not feel right with her character, so it was changed to be more rageful, which does feel right. 
And oh my goodness, one of my favorite lines in the entire book. She needed the fuel for her anger, the cotter to the control bleeding out of her. Without it, there was nothing stopping her from crumbling into the frigid void below. I mean, obviously, the frigid void below part is pretty dark and grabs your attention. But the part that really stands out to me is the imagery of anger keeping the control inside of her, cauterizing the wound, if you will. That sums up Lucy's character. She wants control, so she clings to anger. Insert Director Krennic's oh, it's beautiful meme here. Cutting over to the missing team member, Cam is really struggling here. We get some juicy backstory about his son, Brooke, who is not really in Cam's life anymore. And I know so much more about it, but I cannot tell you until book two. Anyway, Cam is feeling guilty. He doesn't want to lose Nora, too. He could care less about Lucy, Henry, and the guy. But we have the return of Boba Fett. And because I can, Lucy in editing play his theme. That felt necessary. Despite what Addie will tell you, she really did a fantastic job with Boba's voice. It is extremely low and difficult to do, so kudos to her. It's sweet that as soon as Nora is mentioned, Boba just softens, probably because he's super guilty about leaving her, but still. And then another amazing performance by Addie of Drash, and I feel like we need to replay this line. I've laid on those hooligans. I mean beloved children. And then one of my favorite scenes, the chaos of Nora's almost execution. Basically, the Tatooinians are very much bystanders in this conflict. I did like doing the very fun echoey side effect for Harrison's voice here. Also, we knew she would come through for us. Lucy has a plan. She's not generally one to pretend to be helpless so people underestimate her. It's more like she'll bash their heads in if they don't take her seriously. But in this case, she's willing to sacrifice a little dignity in order to communicate her plan. And, ah, Lucy in control is so much fun to write. She just speaks so coolly and dryly, and it's great. I just need to replay this sequence here. You won't kill me, child. Won't I? You said yourself, it's one more life. As my little brother would say, Oof, snap, burn. Harrison's taunting totally comes back to burn him, and the Kai's not even remotely bothered by this. So it looks like Lucy's attempt to be less violent was rather short-lived. But then we have this quote that I find hilarious. You, he nodded to Jax, kill the girl. Gladly, Jax sneered, his finger curling around the trigger. The other girl, fool. Jax just really hates Lucy, and I have a feeling he's one of the guards she later knocks the living daylights out of. Boba, Drash, and Cam to the rescue! As my language arts teacher from last year once said, if you show a loaded gun in the first chapter, it better go off by the end of the book. I may be loosely paraphrasing here. And that is just what we did with Cam's weaponized hover chair. He and Drash are just destroying all of Harrison's lackeys, which is wonderful. And then another of my favorite moments, Lucy just goes up to Dakai in the middle of this battle and punches him, blocks his attack, and then they charge into battle together. And I need to highlight this line. 
Let's show them how Vinks roll. It is great that they're embracing their family name and reshaping it and using all their Mando training for good. And by the way, that woman Dakai vaguely notices getting civilians out of the square is 100% Macy because she does not make compromises in her morals. Now is an excellent time to explain something you may have picked up on. Nora is slowly getting her Kiwi accents. This is Addie's ingenious plan to have Nora's clone heritage slowly come out as she opens up and becomes more confident, beginning in chapter 10 of this book and continuing through the next two books. And Addie is incredible at New Zealand accents, which you got a taste of back in chapter 6 when she voiced Commander Luna Harper, so I am very excited for this progression. And finally, the ultimate Nora battle showdown! We did get her lightsaber fight with Ren back in Chapter 6, but this is the first time she's gone up against a non-Force-sensitive unarmed, therefore making her rely on the Force much more, and also her philosophical discovery on the side. It's always so fascinating to me when characters think about death, because each one views it slightly differently. Nora, ever the Jedi, has discovered how to not fear death, which brings up a very interesting point Empire Radio made a while back, that Jedi don't fear death because their spirits survive and join the living force, while Sith fear it because it really is the end for them. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the future, because I highly doubt that Lucy will ever be able to embrace death like that. Again, it's a loss of control, and she could not tolerate that. So maybe there'll be some conflict between them, who knows? Anyway. Although Nora isn't afraid of death, she still finds the power to beat death, which is fantastic, through the people she loves, which I like no matter how cheesy it is. And really quickly, I present this quote. She flipped herself up off the ground and landed in front of the man. This human, this person with feelings and thoughts and ideas that no one had ever exactly had before and no one would exactly have again. And that is true understanding and empathy right there, acknowledging the humanness inside all of us and how unique we all are. There are so many things I could highlight in this next little Protective Lucy and Dakai sequence, which is hilarious, but we do need to get moving, so I'm just gonna say that Addie and I love it so much. Skipping ahead a bit, I adore this quote. You think I don't understand? You think I go around being accepted by the Resistance even though I was a Mandalorian, and by the Mandalorians even though I left, and by the galaxy even though it has never cared what happened to me. I understand better than anyone, but you don't see me collecting royal titles across the galaxy. Ack, the emotion, the anger, that was so much fun to record. Angry Lucy is just as great to voice as Lucy in control. It's quite sad though, to imagine all the bitterness she's carrying around. Nora, Dakai, and Henry are definitely good influences on her. It can't exactly say the same for Cam. But there's still this constant simmering below the surface that bubbles up every once in a while. There's a lot of focus on change throughout this chapter, but especially at the end when Nora didn't tell Lucy about the holocron sooner because she didn't want things to change. I think she expresses some common feelings about it in this quote. I wanted us to have another moment of peace, to have a home for a while. And while not everyone is constantly on the run from the First Order or dealing with attempted executions left and right, 
I think a lot of people can relate to the feeling of wanting some time to breathe without disruption, of having somewhere more permanent to feel safe and loved. So that's just our little moment about change. And now, my final author's note for the things we find, aside from bonus content, of course, that is, each of these characters begin the book alone in their own ways, and now they're all ready to hop into a ship for a spontaneous mission together, no questions asked. I love getting to see that growth in each of them. Nora learned control over her fear and is mentally maturing. Lucy learned to let people into her heart and channel her emotions for good, generally speaking. And Dakai learned to trust Lucy to take care of herself and become the brother and cousin he needs to be while still being human. Well, this is quite a lengthy episode here now, but I think I personally needed that as a sort of closing for the book. Regardless, we have a voicemail to play, so let's transition. For the third week in a row, I present to you, Marcus. Hey, Lucy, I'm back with another voicemail. I mean, it's not like I couldn't send in a voicemail on the finale. Anyway, in episode 9, the angry mob of townspeople kidnapped a bunch of kids and tried to use them for their own purposes. I mean, what are they, the Jedi? Anyway, I am sending this on on Friday, so hopefully this makes it into the finale, and if not, then use that as context for literally everything I just said. Uh, but that about wraps things up, but I just want to say I'm very excited for what the finale has to offer, so yeah, bye. I really appreciate your joke, Marcus. We love a good jab at the Jedi and their very shady methods of getting new recruits. I hope the finale met your expectations. Feel free to send me another voicemail and let me know. And thanks for all your support over these past few weeks. It means a lot to me. As usual, we do not have a Drabble this week, so here are some final thoughts for the episode. If you have any thoughts about this episode, you want to contact me, or you just have a minute to help the show grow, here are some ways you can do so. You can send me an email through my fan email, which is for lightandlife.podcast at gmail.com. This is great if you have something you want to tell me, but for whatever reason, you can't send in a voicemail. That being said, you can absolutely send me a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. There's a link in the description for that. As long as it is family-friendly and you have not specifically asked me not to, then I will play it on the show. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you listen. This helps new people come over and find the podcast. Go ahead and follow the show if you like these sort of episodes. Comes out every Sunday. Finally, please share the show with your community so our community can grow. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I'm Lucy, and let's look for the light and life in our worlds together.